This is Purple Elephant, where I bring the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, I have, drum roll please, my parents. We have discussed together what it was like for them raising me from an able-bodied child to a disabled child in my very early years, how that impacted them, the support they provided and the support they were provided by friends, family and support systems. Hope you enjoy it, there's lots of laughs and if you're not good at making jokes about disability, maybe this one isn't for you. Well, for us it was that whole thing, because we had always sort of dealt with your problems and humour. Yeah. We laughed at things, and I know people sort of sometimes looked at us like, really, did we just say that? Do you know what I mean? But that's as a family how we dealt with it. And if people didn't like it, that was tougher. But for me, it's still the harder part is letting go. Welcome, Martin Parr, to Purple Elephant. How are you today? Hi, thank you. I'm How well, are you? Thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. I'm glad the sun's shining again. Yes. For those that don't know, this is my mum and dad, Angie and Craig, and they've had the pleasure of raising me for 29 years. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> really got that far, love. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also say that I am the favourite child as well, so don't worry, John. I don't really go that far either. <laughs> You're my favourite child right now because you know what I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> what does the term disability mean to you? So I suppose somebody may possibly need some extra support, but not necessarily. It could somebody in a wheelchair, somebody who, like yourself, who's blind. But you find out what way, disabled people are very, very able-bodied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would go with a lot of that support in some sort of way, and that being that could, that could be anything really. But then you normally find that that person who has in fact comes a disability and needs support and help probably doesn't want support and help because they want to be independent. And for example, with you, I would think of support as being that it would be something like you know the technology on your phone. Or, or either something that, that supports you but makes you independent yeah yeah disability might just want to be aware that i might need some support or help in some sort of way but don't feel nine times out of ten i'm probably providing it myself just be considerate of me a couple of ones that spring to mind is when it says my dog's working don't distract it then my dog's working don't distract it park closer to the the shop because you don't want to be crossing roads where cars are going etc either's guiding you or something then Lazy bastards shouldn't park in disabled spots when they don't need them. I don't get in the way of my support. Yeah. That makes sense. That's probably a, a, a more in-depth perception than probably had 22 years ago. Okay, so here's a nice big trick question. What's my disability? So originally or, or...? Well, both. All of them. Okay, so initially, um, juvenile uh, chronic idiopathic arthritis uh, when you were seven after breaking your arm and then uh, and I would say um, 2013 uh, developed into uh, uveitis, iritis. It developed a lot longer before that. It was wasn't it? <laughs> no that's when you went for your operation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're just dates, they're only object to one, sorry like. <laughs> <laughs> 
all these years just imagine you as our age is starting to it doesn't different. matter that you it's not it doesn't mean that you don't you're not considerate of it it's just like you're thinking to yourself hang on a second you know that was, that was for me was that when you went because i remember i was going to norway and you went for the operation your disabilities for me uh, is your arthritis being blind mm-hmm. or lack of sight however you want to address it no, it's definitely being blind i was registered blind do you remember we were with um, Mr. Frempong answer and he said, do you want to be registered visually impaired or do you want to be registered blind? And I was like, what's the difference? He's like, well, you get a bit more perks being blind. And I was like, well, I'll have that one then. <laughs> I do. I actually do remember that. <laughs> what's the difference? About 250 quid a month? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't that at all, to be fair. But that's, yeah, but it was. Um, she got extra support in the school and things like that. that and then we got to go like two for one in flambards and flop park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, because you got a sighted guide, didn't you? So yeah. That was, that was sort of the, the perks that were important to you then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was that, that 14-year-old you, the perks that are important? Oh, two for one in the cinema. Oh, two for one in flambards. <laughs> Oh, I get to take somebody free. Or go to the zoo. I encourage support though, wouldn't it? Do you want to go to the zoo with me? No, I'm not, I'm not big, I'm a bit busy and I, I don't really fancy the zoo. You get to go for free. Okay, sign me up. <laughs> I was everyone's best friend when they realised they could go for free to places. Yeah. Absolutely. I didn't. I thought it was just places like the zoo. So I was like, I could let your mum take you. And then I found out it was the cinema and the theatre and that as well. I was like, oh, come on, babe, I'll, I'll help you out with that. <laughs> how did the diagnosis you know at the age of seven and then again at the age of 14 make you feel as parents absolutely gutted yeah because the the only way i put it is just the first one with the arthritis it was just completely gobsmacked because i think because it took so long to diagnose it if you remember right it took a year to diagnose it because mm-hmm. There is so many things that the symptoms are so similar, yeah. but so many other things or diseases or problems that show the same symptoms. It took them a year to 14 months mm-hmm. to actually come up with the official diagnosis of what it was, and that was the arthritis. It gobsmacked because absolutely no clue that children would get arthritis. Arthritis was an old person's disease. Only old people got arthritis. Mm-hmm. until obviously you got it and then you start looking into your family history and I found out that my gran had arthritis 27. Now I knew my gran had arthritis but I thought it was because she was old. Mm-hmm. So I thought she was old, she got arthritis, that sort of goes hand in hand, my understanding of it at the time. That was what it was. Um, and then found out that she had fell down a flight of stairs at the age of 27 and she basically had full blown arthritis from there. You broke your arm, full blown. So it's like it. And I always remember speaking to the doctor, and he said, It's like cancer, everybody's got it. It just yeah. takes something to trigger it. You were just unfortunate. Blunt as I can put it, and it was what Peter Hickland said it. That mean your dad should never have bred. Yeah. Not, in, not you and Craigo. No, exactly. You got this healthy body kid. <laughs> No, because you're, you're <laughs> on your dad's, your biological dad's side, 
your grand your grandmother had renal disease, mm-hmm. and obviously there's arthritis on our side. So basically, you were so just fucking unlucky that you got the double whammy at all. And to top it off, I was ginger too. So <laughs> you were never ginger, love. You were strawberry blonde. <laughs> Open. There is a massive difference between being ginger and strawberry blonde. And anyway, what's wrong with gingers? I don't know. I asked Grant the other day, should I, um, I showed him some old pictures, and I was like, oh, should I dye my hair like that? And he was like, if you want to. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Just get my son-in-law to get told. Everybody used to comment on how, how nice your how, hair was, because it wasn't was ginger. Amazing, your hair was. It was like auburns and strawberry blondes, blondes and everything. You had about eight different colours through your hair. Mm-hmm. Every one of them was natural. Yeah. Like your mum. Oh, no, sorry, well, first bit. T- naturally. <laughs> <laughs> I've got about eight shades of grey now, but I can put it natural. Obviously, I try and cover them up. Another 42 to go and you're laughing. <laughs> I, think, I think for me, I think I, I was, obviously, you know, I think it's natural to say you're not absolutely gutted, distraught everything else when you first found out that you know this was a, a disability i mean in my head it was it was always going away you know and next year it should be fine and and the year after should be fine and i think it was well, just we did tell us that didn't they, they well there was a possibility five years, yeah. five years um but just in my head you know just naively just thinking it'll go away something will happen it'll go away and um i think just confused and angry and you know why why you, you know, you're a lovely kid, you've never done anything to to anybody. But I think when people talk to you and they say, you know, how do you feel about that? And it's like, I, we can't have any feel sorry for yourself or bit of self-pity or anything because you were so brave through everything. And that's not like a cliche or just a parental loving comment. It's genuinely just brave through things. And then obviously you didn't like needles, so it was like, some anaesthetic before we do this procedure. Nah, crack on, doc. You know, um, and then always so polite to everybody. Uh, please and thank you and thank thank you thank you for like putting me through all that pain today, doctor. Um, but obviously it was for the greater good. So I always had that thing that when people were like, "Are you quite, you know, relaxed about it or matter of fact about it?" It's like, well, we can't be anything but. Mm-hmm. So how can we feel all you know all woe is me type thing when you're the one there going through it you're the one just cracking on and not but to be fair we had lots lots of people who were just as much disbelief as we were the fact that it was a a child and she was too young we had somebody who offered to pay for you to go privately Mm -hmm. because they couldn't believe the diagnosis and they were willing to take out a policy against you to put you through private and it was peter hickland turning and said What's the point? He said, I'll just tell you right now, you go from here to the private hospital across the road and it's me you're going to see because I'm the top of my field. Yeah. So we knew we were in the best hands. Yeah. You know, yeah, gutted, upset, um, pissed off, angry at the world. Uh, and then a sort of a, a fairly quick acceptance that this we're all just going to have to get on with it. Um, however long that was going to be and, and whatever it was going to be, you know, procedures and all. And and uh, the good days and the bad days and all the rest of it. Very much so, as your dad says, for however long, because we were told at one point that if you were going to get rid of it, it would be a, like a five to a seven year cycle. Yeah. So if 
there was a chance that you could go through this cycle and come out the other end arthritis free. But my question then was always, the damage it's doing now is never going to go away. They were quite, not blasé about it, because that's not the right thing, it's like, but things can be fixed. If it's something to do with our knees, it does go away, then we can go away new replacements. They were always trying to put a positive spin on it as well, but if it went away. Yeah. I think they always knew pacify us, maybe. Hmm. Didn't really think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what about, there's almost a nine-year age gap between Jordan and I. How was that juggling a newborn or a toddler with me being in a wheelchair? Well, I'm interested to see your dad's thing in this because pretty much it was me that did it all, so let's go. Yeah, my first perception was we're going to have to get a bigger boot. Yeah. Not going to get a wheelchair and a buggy in there. We got the bigger car. Life was a lot easier. Um, I didn't drive it, either. We didn't, no. But obviously that was back when your mum had the, the weekly routine of, of going into town and, and we all got the pleasure of going with her. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was... That was great because I didn't like playing football or golf anyway. So, you know, I'd much rather have been traipsing around the shops looking at stuff that I had absolutely no interest in. So, that was always. It's Excuse me. To, to, the children were getting burgers and chips. Burgers <laughs> and yeah, Jordan. Burgers and chips. <laughs> Wait, can I have burgers and chips? It's, it's burger and chips. Yeah, burgers and chips. Yeah, <laughs> Your mum didn't drive at the time, but it had to be a sort of a team effort, the whole family going at the time. And no, I know this was, I relied a lot on friends as well. It was me, the amount of times me and Joanne... Hang on, hang on, don't, don't, don't talk me out of this. <laughs> the amount of times me and Joanne would go um, walk at the time, because that was our thing, where, in Torpoint, you couldn't, the buses couldn't take you in wheelchair. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, because that was yeah. when there were the tiny wee buses, and they didn't take you in wheelchair. There was no wheelchair access, so we used to walk. So Joanne would push one and I would push the other. Yeah, car wise, it was uh, just getting something practical. And then you came along with the good news that we got a car tax for free. So, woohoo! <laughs> 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 I'll get it, honestly. Well, you don't get that yeah, anymore, Grant does. Well, that was actually, if you think about it, that was after that, I let drive, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't think we had it on the old car. Uh, yeah, I don't think we, because that's, that's the thing, I think, when, when you're registered disabled, mm -hmm. unless you get support from your social services or, like, local charities, you don't actually know the, the government help that you are allowed to and have. And you're 100% right there, Hen, because you had had um, arthritis for about three years before we knew there was any help out there for it. Mm -hmm. And it was Liz for the Lady Hall Trust. Yeah, that's right. God Almighty, she opened her eyes to so many things. Mm. Uh, well, actually, that's a lie because it wasn't even her originally. The nurse, the, the woman I spoke to, the nurse I spoke to originally, she gave me all this paperwork to fill it, and I can remember it like yesterday. There's about 50 pages in this booklet, and it was so repetitive. It's like the same thing, but for a different angle. We want this question. And then we're going to ask you the same question as at number 52, but you need to give it a different angle. Do you know what I mean? And I just ended up taking the leaflet and just winging it because it was like too much like hard work. And then Liz got in touch with us because she had taken over from the woman I spoke to in the hospital. And I, even that was still about three, four months later. Yeah. And she came out to see us and I just, she asked, she was honest, I was honest with her because she said to me, um, do you know what help's available? And I was like, no. And they gave me this booklet thing to fill in. I said, it's so repetitive. 
said, I'm not doing that, I couldn't be bothered with it. So they put them in. And she was like, well, I think you're mad, so I'm going to come out if you don't mind and, and I'll help you fill out the paperwork. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what she did. So I started to do it at school because I didn't know then that, I didn't know you could get transport back and forth to hospital, like four taxis in total. And that was three times a week, and nobody had ever, ever told us that we were entitled to hospital transport or entitled to the money back or anything like that. Well, I suppose that's why you have these people, isn't it? You know, because obviously the government is, it says you're entitled to it, and and uh, you can claim it, but you just don't know about it, and there's no bridge in between to say, you know, hey, by the way, because they're not going to advertise you can you can claim that money back. So obviously when somebody in between, like the Lady Old Trust or something, says, oh, by the way, um, did you know about this? Well, no, clearly not. So A question I had written down about negative perceptions from the public and how you dealt with that. Uh, I know. <laughs> well, no, we had some positive as well mm -hmm. as negative. Certainly there was a lot of negative, but that was more if people thinking we were being cruel to you, making you walk where you were like, in a shop, for example, um, when you start getting your neck mm -hmm. and you wanted something, you would turn your whole body rather than turn your head. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't care where I was. It would be like, turn your head. And people, and you'd be end up crying because it'd be so painful. But I was like, turn your head. And it, well, it became like a battle of wills because I bet people didn't, people seen that and they just seen me as being cruel. So you had your positive and you had your negative. You had your negative with people. Ah, yes, I had a few cases that I told people to fuck off and mind their own business. I had a few cases, uh, people that I'd explain things to, and I'm talking to complete, complete strangers because they were nice about it. Yeah. Positives, there was loads of positives. I don't, I don't know if you remember, Colin, who used to live a few doors away from us, he was a bus driver. Yeah. And he got talking to me one day. Can I ask you what's wrong? Um, I see you're struggling and I see you like carrying her down the road or piggybacking her down the road or like she's 10 paces behind you or she, you're just constantly shouting, hurry up, hurry up, get moving, come on, come on. Because you were so slow, it was like that 15 minute walk to school suddenly became like 30 to 40 minutes walk to school. Yeah. So everything, the timings and things like that, he did past our house and the school every morning. And he turned around and said, I could lose my job for it. You're on the bus and I will let her the school gate. Mm -hmm. Months after that, he did that. Yeah. Because the bus stop, obviously, was nowhere near the school gate because it couldn't be. Yeah. He deliberately stopped his bus at the school gate and let you off. Yeah. I think the negative side was for me was sometimes people just staring. You are struggling a bit in any whichever sort of shape or form it was that day, um, and people just sort of staring. And some type of we were more conscious of what was going on around us because you were just focusing on what you were doing, um, or maybe one of us was was helping you or getting something for you. But you're kind of looking at other people and just sort of staring. And I think at first that was, you know, mate, do you want a picture or something? And that's. Quite often adults, kids you, you can understand because they don't know any different. And then after a while, I think, and never, never perfect, and probably not perfect now, but sort of get used to it. And then it's actually like, you know what, maybe that, that person was more aware of what your situation was or something. Then you might realize they're just being rude, sort of like watching you struggle. It went from a, like a, 
an anger, like what's your problem, mate, to more of a, an awareness and educational type thing where you could just be like, yeah, she's struggling, she's, she's got arthritis or something. But then again, you start thinking to yourself, why do you have to explain that to everybody? Can't you just get on with your business and let us get on with ours? And you start being so bloody nosy. Mm-hmm. But that, that was a, that was something that sort of created something on me for a while. Yeah, I, I do remember both you and mum at several points over the years kind of shouting at strangers, being like, take a picture, it lasts longer. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, even just, you know, as I said before, the parking thing, you know, you go into a disabled um, car park, and that's when you, maybe we were at fault as well, because you get to that whole sort of like, oh, he's taking that space. It's like, oh, okay, fair enough. And I can even remember having a, reception for a long time that a lot of people weren't disabled they were just old mm-hmm. so that like somebody might say well yeah but still have a disabled car pass you're like well no not really because they're just old those two people who got out of that car are, are fine but then that's again that, that ignorance on our part where as your mum said before not all disabilities are you, you, can, know, see you can see them you know so so it might be that that person's got something going on and you think well maybe it's very normal then you know I think that the bottom line that. was we were just pissed off because he'd taken the car back. No, but we had that. We had that. We had the amount of time that we got in a disabled bay. had days that you were so bouncy, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean, that you always walked different because of the arthritis to the ankles. Yeah. You were still bouncy. So you would get out and be off before we were, like, even behind you. And your dad, I remember your dad actually decided to go back and confront a, an older couple because they had started gobbling off about being in a disabled spot and um, how we shouldn't have been in a disabled spot because there was nothing wrong with either one of us. At that point, had that confrontation lots and lots of times and just sort of ignored it. And I think it was just that one, that one too many that your dad decided to go and back and confront them. Very yeah. politely, of course. And he did go back and he said, can I just ask you what you're from with? And they completely backtracked. Well, oh, no, 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 no. And he was like, well, no, you had a lot to say when you saw us getting out of the car. So would you like to see it again? And I can explain to you the, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. because they had been confronted with it. Because a lot of people are like that. It's like that mutter under your breath, say something as you're walking away or when you're driving away because then somebody can't catch you. Yeah. And they don't expect to be confronted by it. I think the thing when you think, if you've come back, because somebody who shouldn't be using that space is probably just going to walk away. And just all, all, you know, la la la, just ignore it. If you come back, then the chances are it's probably like, oh, false call. You know, we've actually said we shouldn't be parking there. And if he's got the coolness to come back and face me up, then the chances are it's probably completely legitimate and we've just not seen it. I mean, other other perceptions is, is also where you park in the car and stuff like that. In my head, it was always when you, when we arrived somewhere with you and you get out of the car, that was fine. Because it's like we just parked in the disabled parking space, and uh, and if we're getting a wheelchair out, well, you know that's it, point point proven. But there was other times where it was like I might be picking you up. So in my head, it was like, well, I would still park in the disabled parking space because then the car's close for you to get to, mm-hmm. as opposed to you getting out of it. So it was the same principle to me. But there was those times where you were getting out of the car, and I'm like, I'm just ready. I'm just ready. Somebody looking at you, go on, say something, go on. 
So what support would you say you received from like family and friends with me being a disabled child? A lot of our outings, if you like, only happened because I had support of friends. So it's that very true saying, isn't it? The uh, friends of the family you choose for yourself. Yeah. Because without them, we, Joanne was fantastic. Aileen, you could just, excuse the French, but you could just fucking wrap Aileen around your little finger. Oh, and she, many times Elaine used to tell me that she had carriage up the stairs, and I was like, Elaine, why? Oh, I couldn't have watched her struggle. No, because she knows you're going to do that for her. And then your Auntie Jackie, the amount of times, like, hospital trips, she did with me because your dad was never here. And I mean, never here, it was just under the circumstances, wasn't it? And you, something we used to always laugh about, I don't even remember this, is the fact that the shit always hit the fan. Within two days of your dad going away. Yeah. You're on a deployment. That's because she yeah. missed me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, with these sort of things, I would have been stuck through it, like, say, my friends, certainly, and certainly Auntie Jackie. Because at the drop of a hat, God, I've lost count many times we got to Bristol. Yeah. And then Auntie Jackie was just they always there. Yeah. To go with me. I think she just liked to do it. She just like, just like to go up and fuck with the ambulance, man. <laughs> That's not what it sounded like the first time. <laughs> I always remember that one where we got, we got lost and we were getting really pissed off with the sat-nav. We would end up shouting the sat-nav. And then we, had, no, we saw this ambulance, it was parked up, I think they must have been having their lunch. And it was two two blocks and you know, Jackie just got just out of fuck me. And I was like, hello, we're trying to find the hospital. So they ended up just saying, just follow us. <laughs> <laughs> We followed the ambulance to <laughs> I always remember that. And then the other time, was that? No, that wasn't that. was when we went to Blindy School. When we went in the car park, we couldn't have, we got lost again. No, that we wasn't Blindy School. Yeah. We went in one side of the car park and came in the other because we couldn't work out how to get it to the other side. <laughs> and then we knew that the car park, you entered on one side or one street and you exited on another. Yeah. It was all one day system and we couldn't work out how to get round. So we just thought the easiest thing to do would go drive through the car park. <laughs> <laughs> so we just went in one side and the other. Anybody listening to that just be thinking that's just a blind leading the blind. Yep. <laughs> I couldn't, I, I, I would have coped. There's no two ways about it. I would have coped, but I had a fantastic friendship um, and network and support. And I think the majority of them, I think, when you think about it, are either military or ex-military, or were military at the time. Mm -hmm. So it's that whole, if you want to put it down to a military, like a support network, or whereas people look, look out for each other. Camaraderie and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's your determination that, that got you through everything. Uh, bravery and guts in a little finger than you have in your own body. You know, you wouldn't know it if you, if, uh, you know, pain or whatever, if it's, if it's not during the match. Well, so. then that was what Peter Hicklin did, didn't he? Because Peter Hicklin used to come up to the children's ward to see her. And he actually asked her to go down to the adult ward yeah. because he turned around and said, you've got worse arthritis than 90% of the cases I'm dealing with in adults and all the Jews more. Mm. Whereas you're always still there with your, hello, please, thank you. Thank you for sticking that needle in me. Bye. <laughs> Super polite sort of thing. So it was just like, 
which is a credit to you both. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass, but yeah, no, no, she is. She's, she's <laughs> a credit. But um, the bravery thing was was something that we obviously just saw in you and, and everybody else admired, family and friends, I think, whether they understood it all completely or not. But definitely, they're all rooting for you, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I never felt like I didn't have a fantastic support network quite literally next again day trips up to Bristol for an eye operation to try and save the eye Joanne or Sam and Steve taking Jordan because Mm. you were away and it was just like well yeah doesn't matter if it's two days or five days just leave it it all done at the drop of your hat yeah Yeah. absolutely that's how those things usually panned out that support network thing from friends and family even if it was well we just had Jordan for the day and she was good as gold you know no problem at all. Yeah, but you don't realise the difference that made at the other end, so that we could both be there. Because so many of the appointments took place up in Bristol, yeah. that was where the massive help came in with other people with Jordan, because we didn't have to stick her in a car for three and a half hours. Yeah. Not all, every time, because she did come up to Bristol quite a few times. I think it was only once we had to take her up and stay overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think only a few, a handful of times that we'd have to take her up for appointments, appointments. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot cheaper because you'd have to go out and eat. And if you had to take Jordan with you as well, it'd <laughs> flip an extortionate. <laughs> no, uh, no, we're just happy with this, this little cafe. Little that was Jordan's excitement. As she was going in the car with me, and it was a hostel appointment, that was she get quavers and, and what's and bargain and chips. Absolutely, yeah. They yeah. keep her quiet. <laughs> Stop up, you get like halfway there, and it'd be like we're pulling our services or something, get someone else to pull up. But it's also, would you do, I don't know if you remember, but that's one of the appointments when Jordan had just had her squint operation mm-hmm. and we were up to see Jackie Clinch. Um, and I remember walking into the room, and again, one of the rarities that Jordan came with us, because I think Jordan was three when she had a squint operation. Yeah. Um, and she walked out of the room and Jackie Clinch said, what's, what's wrong with Jordan's eye? And I went, oh, she's had a squint operation. And she just sort of went, oh, well, that's fine. She'll never get arthritis then. Mm. I was like, what? And she went, she'll never get arthritis. Because she, people with squints, then they get arthritis. To this day, I've never understood that one. And I'm sure there must be some medical thing behind it. Mm-hmm. But she just went, right off the top of your head, she just went, well, she's not going to get arthritis then. So you don't got to worry about her. Mm. That's yeah. another support network that you sort of, you don't forget about, but but you, people don't, you know, talk about friends and family and everything. You sort of think through the years, you know, Dr. Eklund, Dr. Perham, uh, Jackie Clinch, Prof. Dick, Prof. Dick, Lindsay Robertson, all these people that, you know, were, were extremely good at what they did and we're lucky enough that you got to see them. Mm-hmm. But, but also um, the nurses that supported her because... Mr. Frimpong as well. with them and within like an hour you had a phone call back things were getting like 
here's, here's an appointment for you, come and then do this, do that, do this, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even the secretaries, yeah. think about it, you're talking about the nurses as well as the doctors. And the no, the secretaries, it was more like, that was um, Professor Dick, those yeah. secretaries. And that was until Annie came along as a uveitis yes. nurse. And she, yeah, she became your uveitis nurse, didn't she? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's the thing, you, you kind of see someone so often that they become part of the circle. It's just like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, you're ringing up again. Okay, we'll 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 get. your dad says that is also part of your like that. They become part of your support network. Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, yeah. a very big part of it. You don't know them outside of the hospital, but they still become a very big part of your support network. Mm -hmm. And they always, every single one of those doctors had time upon time to sit and answer questions, even if they'd already answered them the last time we saw them. It yeah. was, like, I always remember, that was, like, literally the bog-standard question I got asked. If you got any questions? Some days mm. I'd be like, no, and then mum and dad, <laughs> you'd flick out a piece of paper with, like, 70 questions on it. And then <laughs> other times... Pardon? Yeah, because we'd forget. We'd forget that, that had to be the way, because it would be... We, we quickly learned that, you know, I'd be like, right, we'll have to ask, um, you know, whoever it was, doctor at the time, we'll have to ask them about that. And... and We've noticed that thing with that, you know, um, maybe it was your, your other knee or your other ankle, you know, as, as these things developed. It's like, you have to ask about that and we'll have to check this and we'll have to ask about the medication thing. And then you get up there and be like, yeah, so this, that, the next thing, a load of information downloaded on you. Got any questions? Uh, no. And then you walk out and then you start driving back from Bristol. You think, oh, shit, didn't ask that. Oh, shit, didn't ask that sort of thing. So, yeah, in the end, it was, you know, so, right, okay, I'm in the military. What we do is we, we take notes on things. <laughs> so, get that, you know, that paper you used to put in the printer, it was all connected, one of them, like, you know, 17 sheets all connected together. Yes, a couple of points we had to ask you about, actually. But then they knew us just as well, because if you think about it, and I always remember um, I Hospital in Plymouth, Mr. Answer used to take the mickey at me because he would be like, has mum got her book? Yeah. it was... If, if there was any injections or anything to be done in his eyes, mum suddenly had a book to read. <laughs> I'd hold your hand and go, there, there, whilst reading my book, because there's no way I'm going to watch that. <laughs> and that's how he used to defer to it. When he, he knew he was going to have to inject your eyes or anything, mm -hmm. he always goes, mum got a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he just knew I couldn't watch. Yeah. I did that with my was there, and it was just like, so I have to do an injection in your eyes. Do you want any anaesthetic or anything? No, I'm fine, thanks. Holy shit, how the hell does she do that? I've just got to move to the toilet. <laughs> Especially like around GCSEs and my sight started to really deteriorate and the inflammation got really bad. It was, it was genuinely, I was in so much pain, I just wanted the pain to stop. Yeah. 10 seconds of pain, that was going to be really quite uncomfortable or waiting an extra half an hour for these eye drops or this anaesthetic gel, whatever, to do its magic. I can be asked. I just wanted it yeah. done. To be fair, Darren, Sabre's a fortune in parking fees, so it's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's right, what she's saying is like, because when the eyes first started deteriorating, it was more pain than anything else. Mm. The mm. blinding pain you were in, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, like, my eyes were still working for a long time, but it was the inflammation that then made me, I can open my eyes, and then they were constantly weeping. That mm -hmm. was what made me blind for the first kind of year 
on and off. Yeah, because they were, they were working so hard trying to work mm -hmm. that it was causing pain. It was pulling on nerves and all the rest of it, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That brings me to another question. Arthritis and like disability awareness and coping mechanisms under your belt. How was it to then know that the arthritis has started affecting my eyes and how did that make you guys feel? I'd always been warned about it. So I remember them saying you have to get your eyes tested. And it was like, why? Arthritis can go in the eyes. So another thing to learn. Because obviously, as I said, for me, arthritis went, there was for all people, never mind it went into your eyes. And then getting your eyes tested. We went there and it was like, fine, walking in. That was Mr. Um, Thaler, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And it was always, yep, yeah, fine, she's fine, she's fine. Then it we got the first hint that something was wrong and he was like, oh, I need you to come back in three months for a... And that was my first hint that there was something was on the cards. Yeah. And watching you do that eye test and feeling it. Because we were always there with you. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You don't know any different because you're sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, that is that. That says you are VST. Mm -hmm. and, but you're 100% convinced. And it was like... It wasn't even like a struggle to look at it, it was a case of, mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it thinking that, you know that? That knowing then that that was the start of it. So, didn't it help the fact that we had always been warned about it? Didn't it help the fact that it was a pretty gradual to start with? It was an absolute kick in the teeth to think it. Everything you'd been through, and this was now going to start taking your sight. Always thought it would maybe take a bit of your sight. Gee impaired vision. Yeah. Never to the extreme that you were going to lose your sight completely. Yeah. What about you, Dad? Yeah, I'm just thinking, it was, it was almost, to me, it was, I seem to recollect your arthritis getting a bit better. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, and I don't know medically if it was a case of the, the arthritis kind of switches targets a little bit and it doesn't, not quite as bad with the joints it goes and focuses on someone else i.e the eyes it that's true that's it, what happened it did yeah. 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 Know, yeah but no, i was also saying, on the infliximab which gave me do you remember by the time i like finished year 11 i wasn't even using my scooter anymore mm. yeah. because the infliximab so, was so strong that it helped me stay out of a wheelchair and the pain had decreased so much but then it was like the arthritis shifted and started attacking my eyes Mm. Yeah, to quote your mum's sort of favourite saying, you know, you're having a fucking laugh because to me it was like, that's how's that a sort of trade off? Can get about a bit better, but you know what? I'm just going to take whatever it was going to be at the time, you know, a little bit, some, quite a lot, all practically of your eyesight. So it's going back to what I said earlier on, it wasn't that whole we're feeling sorry for ourselves. So you just mm. had to, we just had to try and, you know, be half as brave as what you were and support you as best you could. But yeah, it was it was a it was a gutter, obviously. Adapt to overcome them. Well, for us, it was that whole thing because we'd always sort of dealt with your problems through humour. Yeah, we laughed at things, and I know people sort of sometimes looked at us like, "Really? Did they just say that?" Do you know what I mean? But that's as a family how we dealt with it, and if people didn't like it, that was tough work. Is that like the nurse for the social worker? Yeah, <laughs> you need to tell that story, Dad. Go. We we like a social worker. I don't know, is that like a social worker? Um, no, I don't think so. That's how it, not much point, Hannah, because she'd just end up like the other one under the patio. <laughs> and the woman sort of looked at us like, what? I was like, no, we're just joking, just making light of it, you know? Just, yeah. Do you have any problems 
pedal work, this. <laughs> oh, mum, that's a good gin, that is. That's a good gin. Oh, I have to remember that one, yeah. Poor nurse is sitting there. No, the nurse found it funny. Face. It was the doctor who didn't. That's <laughs> he it, yeah. The social services down us and broke off. Across the years, and I'm going back right at the beginning, the sight loss living was within the wheelchair. And that time we tipped when we do we legs were dangling in there and we couldn't do it for laughing. I mean people were horrified. We just thought, that bus stopped. The bus stopped <laughs> and the bus driver got out and started screaming at you all. Because you was it you, Dad, Auntie Mar, Joanne, everyone was just standing around laughing. I was stuck in the wheelchair with my feet dangling in there, clipped in. Couldn't get out. <laughs> because you'd put because we'd gone over to the hole for the day. And like you packed all the ice bags and stuff on my back, on the back of the, the, and wheelchair, then, like, with the wheelchair. And it tipped because one of you let go. I think it was actually dad. I think it was dad who's pushing me and he let go, turn around and say something. And I just really slowly just started tipping. <laughs> That's because we weighted it properly so you wouldn't just fly back. <laughs> it's not our fault that you didn't weigh more than four cases of beer and a couple of bottles of wine, you know. <laughs> Oh, and some snacks. And some snacks. Snacks. <laughs> but again, it just, I mean, that aside, other things like that, we have, we've just laughed about things that possibly other people would find inappropriate. Do you know what I mean? Or seen humour where other people think it's inappropriate. But it's like what you always say, it's your illness and you'll deal with it in your way. Yeah. And if you want to laugh about it, then you will. Yeah. And that, to be fair, it's got to do with us because we used to just laugh about it. You have to make light of things, don't you? Just to, to get through the day, I think. Yeah. Hmm. I know she wasn't laughing when she was in no, the wheelchair. The wheelchair. The time in there. People don't listen to I was me. mortified. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that. It was I was mortified because a bus full of people went past and the point where the driver actually pulled the bus over and got out of the bus and started shouting at all of you and Auntie Ma Because we couldn't stop laughing! Yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you're, you're like 29 now and your sister's 20, so what are they going to do? Come around and take your bus? <laughs> yeah, this is time to be honest, you know what I mean? Yes, we could not pick up your wheelchair and, and put you upright because we were too busy laughing. Because we, we knew you weren't hurt, you see? That's the yeah. difference. It's that whole thing. Somebody falls and over. And if you stop dangling your wee legs. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep your legs still. We wouldn't have been found it so funny. It was the bad that you get through wiggling your wee legs. Yeah. That was what was even funnier. Bus driver, can you even have bloody pick her off? Man, look at her wee legs. Her <laughs> 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 wee legs is just going to hit. Pick her bloody up. Oh, yeah, all right then. Pick her up. Some people have just got no sense of humour. Yeah. And once we spent a minute or two checking all the alcohol was intact, we picked you up. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it's, you know, in all seriousness, it's just these, these things that, you know, they do happen and you very quickly sort of realise that, you know, you're okay, everybody else around you is okay and that's fine and you know what, we might as well just laugh about things because otherwise it'll just get us down. Yeah. And, um, that's what we did, and unfortunately for you, that particular day, you know, mum, dad, auntie, auntie, friends, what have you, everybody knew you well enough to know everything was fine. That's why it was fun. It's that whole perception, that public perception we are talking about earlier, you know, that, you know, you, you think that's absolutely shocking, terrible, the child should be taken into care. 
Not at all. She can be more loved if we tried. You know what I mean? It's just something's happened. She's okay, and it's funny. So you just have to make light of it and move on. Mm. Once you stop laughing and pick yeah. your child up. Well, yeah, because I I had just as much fun with the wheelchair as well. Like the amount of my friends that had a go in the wheelchair around school, and one of my favourite memories of Emily is putting Emily in the wheelchair, strapping her in, and then I can't remember. She made me laugh and. I tipped, I tipped her back and she was doing the leg, that was it. She did the leg dangly thing. I tipped her back <laughs> and that made me start laughing and I couldn't pick her back up. So then she was lying on the floor with her legs in the air. And it took me like a good like minute or two to pick her back up because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and there you go, Your Honour, I rest my case. Yes. Exactly the same thing, but roles reversed. Exactly. And then think about even go back to your scooter. I know the last we used to have with that. The kids stealing that in the school. Yeah, that was annoying though. Like that really. Yeah, and they used to steal that and start like we have polo mint paper wrapper. <laughs> yeah. And then they'd go past me in the corridor and they'd go, shit, because <laughs> <laughs> they, they knew who I was. <laughs> Just put it back. Just go and take it back to where you got it. You yeah. said that very, very politely. Like that was Mrs. Pilly talking, obviously. It was. That, that's exactly what I said. Put it back. Where you got it? Where you got it? Thank you very much. Get on, <laughs> You learn very quickly that if something, if, if something bugs you up in the school, the kids continue to do it. Which is why they kept stealing it because I used to. Freak so it was just like because it bugged her. Whereas with, with me, it was just like just put it back, and it was like oh we're not getting a, we're not getting a rise out of. The main point there is about finding light in the situation and making fun of it and humor has been my biggest comfort as well as like almost my biggest way of bonding with other people over losing sight and having arthritis and stuff like that to the point where Grant and I even now are making jokes about it or Lauren and Daniel Grant and I make jokes about it because it's the way that we cope with it everyone's humor is subjective but the way we've always dealt with it as a family is, is through humour and that's why it works for us and I think that's probably why I feel like I've got a good sense of humour because I think if it was if we were always so doom and gloom and arguing and shouting over it there wouldn't have been any kind of happiness or light. Yeah and you go back to even the doctors I mean the doctors used to be like obviously as they thought it was amazing that the fact that you could laugh about things. Do you remember when me you and Auntie Jackie went up to Bristol Mm -hmm. And you had one of the eye operations. I think yep. that's when you had to. Did you have to keep your head forward in a ring or something? Yeah. And Auntie Jackie just kept on pointing out how busy your hair was. <laughs> and then the other one was we had got a Burger King and you weren't allowed to eat anything. And Auntie Jackie said, "Oh, this is amazing. You've got no idea what you're saying." <laughs> just because we just thought it was just funnier to wind you up and laugh at things. Talking about her sense of humour, and then that's where she gets you, it though. You and Jackie just absolutely ripping the shit out of her. But that's where she gets a sense of humour because and that's why we're able to do that, and that's she knows that. That's almost like the the, the worst, the worst. And the worst was Jackie. The worst piss, yeah. <laughs> the worst the piss taking was, it was more harsh. You just said something that was a little bit like just needling somebody, just nudging them a bit. That was kind of like that's quite funny. If there was something that was like really ripping the shit out of them, that's where you would absolutely cackle rather than just laugh. Oh yeah. I, I know that even happened on, on your wedding day when 
you know, Jordan said something like completely out of line. Everybody else was like, can't say that. And you were the one that was laughing loudest in the room because it's just it's that sense of humor, that wicked sense of humor, that it's almost the more you push the boundaries, the funnier it is. Mm. I think that was a bit. She couldn't believe somebody found somebody to marry her. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't actually believe somebody fucking marry you. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's. I think that's been. Uh, it's been. A, it's been a strength. As you say, a strength and a comfort too over the years. You know, where you just be, you know, to have a, a joke about. Mm -hmm. And it's not been all. It's not been all laughter. Is Christ the Mighty has been loads of tears and tantrums, and that was just for me. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the tantrums. <laughs> that was just how it's meant. The amount of times that I, I mean, for all you, do you know what we were talking earlier on about getting support for your friends, your network of friends? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, even though they were brilliant and fantastic and they were there, I could never admit how vulnerable I was. Mm. Because I think if I admitted how vulnerable I was, I would have went into myself. Because my goal or my thingy was to fight as much as possible for you yeah and i and i've got a very vivid memory in one time um i don't even know what happened but you were doing here jordan was in bed and your dad wasn't here oh that was pretty much normal um and sure. going up the stairs and just shut myself in the bedroom and phoning my mum Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And all I did was cried on the phone for about 45 minutes. <laughs> I hate my fucking life. Do you know what I mean? Just feeling sorry for myself. But walked out of that room after putting the phone down for my mum, who made me feel a hundred times better, and it was ready to fight again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and because I think everybody's got to let it out at some point. Yeah, and I think for me as as a child. Um, and obviously, I don't, I don't know about you, Dad, if you, you saw the more vulnerable side of Mum. What I saw was the fighting and the anger and, like, the rage. I didn't really see the vulnerable side or when you found it tough. Or if you found it tough, you weren't... Um, a bit very Yeah. Yeah, I think when... when um, I think it's like it with any, any child of any age, whether they have any sort of issues physically or anything like that, that I think when a, when a kid goes to their bed, it's almost like, that's like mum and dad's time, sort of sit down and, and kind of, you know, relax or regroup or chat about something or even if it's just Yeah, but then that was, I think what she said is that the majority of you in a year. So I was dealing with some of my own. So a lot of it came out because I felt like I was constantly battling with people. So I was constantly angry. I always just felt like I was always... I was always angry at somebody. I was always annoyed at somebody. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, and that was how I hid my own vulnerability. Yeah. Was through anger. Yeah. So what I was three quarters of the way through explaining was that one time, that one week when I was actually here. <laughs> <laughs> when, A whole seven days. I know, yeah. I know, maybe seven weeks. I was there for the whole week. And for that week, I found that in the evening when you had a chat about something, maybe it was just a little arm around your shoulder, a little hug or something. What um, mum was affecting? What? No, no, I, I pinned her down and then cuddled her. <laughs> after, after, after tie wrapping her, her hands behind her Yeah, back. but again, I think that's another part of the vulnerability, isn't it? Yeah. It was a defence mechanism. Yeah, so you couldn't, you couldn't turn around and say, you know, that, no, oh, no, everything's terrible. And especially when you're, if you're away on, on the ship or something, and, and if you do get that whole, 
oh my God, you know, everything's shit and I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't sort this out. But even, it was never like, you know, I can't cope, you know, that sort of like phoning up and being in tears and what have you, very rarely, um, maybe, maybe once or twice, but very rarely. Um, and that was just, as you say, it was more that defense mechanism because if their mum sort of broke down and said, oh, I can't do it, then that kind of meant, well, that means I can't do it on my own. So we're not going to be able to do it at all. So therefore, you know, you'd have to completely change your life. The way you sort of get on with it, mum might go, oh, yeah, this is fine, that's fine. But then just chat about a couple of bits that might help and say, well, go back to so-and-so and ask them about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. Most of the time, she knew exactly what she was doing or going to do. It was just kind of bouncing it off you just to say, you know, how does that, how does that sound? Yeah. yeah. And, and that, as opposed to, I'm going to phone them tomorrow, I'm going to, can tell them this, can tell them that. It's like, like hang on a second, darling, because you still need them to help you out. So let's not go upsetting them. And maybe just, you know, try and encourage you not to be as frustrated and angry with someone and maybe just, you know, just tone it back a little bit and, and try and be a bit more, look, can you help us out, please? Because we can't do this, that, or the next thing. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it was just a, a kind of a balancing act. Of, contrary to, to everything your mum seems to be saying, I did contribute a little bit every now and then. But again, we actually do laugh about it, don't we? The fact that every time something serious has happened, be it, be it not so much the arthritis, it's always been the eyes, mm. always seemed to happen within a few days and you got away. So we'd wait to see and we'd have a massive flare up and end up in Bristol where I'm getting an eye operation, trying to prevent the eye from collapsing. Because it was always a big, big bloody thing. Mm-hmm. And then it was somebody's funeral. You had just went away for somebody's funeral and we ended up in Bristol that night. Mm-hmm. And then there was something else and we ended up in Bristol again. And I can see myself every one of the times on the phone to you telling you what's happening. I was standing outside the hotel in Bristol or standing outside the hospital in Bristol. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How can you tell me your body rejecting you going away? Is it that yeah. our, our brain saying, this is crap. Why is that going away? Right, that's sound kicking off. <laughs> yeah, it was just a lot of unfortunate timing, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it didn't go away as, as, as much as a lot of people in the neighbors. Oh. So Not at all. We always said that because we always said it would be jaws and she was so lucky, wouldn't she? Something like three or four months longest, should I say, we were away. Yeah. Yeah, instead. And I remember when you like having to get cane training mm-hmm. and the fights we had about that. You were adamant, you were going to use a cane as well. Mm-hmm. That was your fight to this and independence. It's just, whether it be, we're talking about a family dealing with it or a person dealing with it with a new disability. Be open to any and all avenues. Mm-hmm. There you go. And you might go doing it and it might not be the one for you. But don't shut everything off completely. Like what you were very much. I'm not using a cane. I'm not doing this. Do you remember your, your symbol cane? You refused to use that to cross the road. Yeah. But... Turn that around because look at it many times where they laugh about that. Yeah. I mean, you went to the trees uh, Monday and you, you walked up in the bollard. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, so there's a bollard? Yeah, I've noticed that now. <laughs> or that time when I took you out for a learning curve for me, your cane, long cane training, mm-hmm. and you fell off the curb and I said, what are you going to do now? And you went to have a little dance. You <laughs> <laughs> stood in the and had a little dance. <laughs> you can see how these people look at you like, what the fuck is she doing? But, that's what I'm saying. It's like be open to everything, to be trying everything. And if it doesn't work for you, then fine. 
push it to one side but find something else don't shut anything down just give everything a go mm -hmm. going back to that particular incidence with the the cane training i ended up getting cane training behind the scenes at worcester and that then came in great stead for when i quite literally overnight lost my sight completely Exactly. And, and then I could use a cane safely. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I got home, I think it was like literally two or three days later, we had Rebecca giving me proper orientation and mobility from the house and how to get around again. Yeah. As your dad said something earlier on, and I, I've got a 110% agree with you, we couldn't, honest to God, be more proud of you. Yeah. Your fighting spirit, your feistiness and we joked about the fact that what you lacked inside you made up for in gob blah 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 but it's all the things that have made you the strong person that you are it's all the things that the little things that have over the years that have mounted up and it's and yeah sometimes i think even in the last couple of years after now that's quite rude because sometimes you're too feisty but it's because you've got a point to get over and we're not living your life. We're not seeing what you have to put up with on a day-to-day -day basis and now. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, for me, that was possibly one of my frustrations as well, was the fact that as a mum, it's really fucking difficult to let go. Mm -hmm. Jordan's fine because I know she's capable, I know she's able, and I knew you were. Don't get me wrong, I knew you were. But for me, it's still the hardest part was letting go. Yeah. And letting you go and be a person in your own right. Yeah. And know somebody that I wanted to... Because I never molly coddled you. No. But I obviously still looked after you. And I fought your corner for everything. And when I had to sort of take a step back to fight your corner and let you fight your own battles, I had to take a step back at, actually, she can cook. Even though I taught you that, by the way, I'd like to point that mm -hmm. out. Um, and she does she does all these things herself I think because for me and you it was different being your mum was just a bigger role does that make sense? yeah than being Jordan's mum mm -hmm. I was Jordan's mum and I was your mum but being your mum took up a much more space and time and what have you mm -hmm. emotions and emotions um, well, well, yeah, you know, yeah. So. so and that's where again as we said with a, with a lot of it was for me, how I dealt with it, probably wrong, was through anger and things like that. So I always felt was constantly pissed off at somebody mm. just because I could be. Or as my niece called me, angry Angie. <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's come from. Yeah. And now I do feel anything like that. I think that was the thing I learned from you how to be assertive and at some points aggressive to fight my corner and fight my battles, even though you were alongside me doing it. But what I also noticed is that like growing up and becoming more independent in, in different ways, that you don't always have to be angry to be heard. And that took me a long time to realize that too, because even when I was at uni, I could be, quite angry especially with the disability department because they were a lot of shite I could be like really angry about it always fighting whereas now if something doesn't work I try and take a different approach to it I feel more contented in a lot of ways than I probably ever have because I realize I don't actually have to be physically angry 
and fighting all the time just yeah. just it takes a weight off my shoulders yeah i agree with that him because i feel the exact same myself and to be honest it was like whether you could say it's age or whatever but i don't think it is i think it's i felt i had to fight mm -hmm. for a, so much that it just and having that sort of nature anyway do you know what i mean because your granny as you know Mm -hmm. proper she, like she was proper wee feisty thing as well do you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i think it's part nurture part nature yeah so there's a lot of nurture in there and a lot of it's like nurture nature sort of thing but and it just gave me the excuse to be like that yeah but now i can hand in hand say i'm nothing like that now mm -hmm. yeah. i am definitely definitely a hundred times calmer I'm not saying that I definitely up because I do and push the right button and you'll get a reaction mm -hmm. but no I definitely I'm a lot calmer yeah and I'm like what you're saying is like I'll think I'll look at things and take a different approach to it mm -hmm. I think that also helps with me like you having dad who's that more logical thought process think it through look down a different avenue and grants exactly the same because mm -hmm. living with someone being in a relationship with someone that that constantly challenges your viewpoints without putting you down or making you feel like shit actually you then start to adopt their way of thinking because you realize it still gets results pretty good that far it's never that way oh no i was gonna say i'm, <laughs> I'm still working on it you made more progress and since she got married than now there's <laughs> only about a 10 year difference <laughs> 25 years overall. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, keep chipping away, Craig. You'll get there in the end. So. Uh, you're very right in what you're saying because an angry person with another angry person is it's just like fuel for fire, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And your dads can be angry as well, but yeah, you're right. It's like the methodical and the logical and you're talking about being a thinker. Yeah, that's right, because we're going to move this wall unit. I need to move it away from the wall. Well, where are we taking it? I just want it away from the wall. Do we want it to go a metre to the front and then six inches to the left? Or I just want it away from the wall. Do you know what I mean? That's his logical thinking. That's why we end up fighting. <laughs> just to be clear, I'm the one that needs to know where it's going. You're the yes. one that's saying, I just want it moved. Yeah, I just want it away from the wall. Yeah. But you need to know how many metres it's coming away from the wall. You need to know what direction it's going. So when we, as we always do, start pulling in two different directions. <laughs> we're screwed and if you just just link that nicely into however that was never what we did we were always pulling in the same direction not up though because i'm still not any taller no no just just left and right donna left and right. <laughs> <laughs> but no i think um yeah yeah I think it, it, it would make a difference if you were both just angry all the time, then you wouldn't really get anywhere, would you? So that's mm. so why maybe opposites attract. Or, yeah. or you and your mum just find somebody that will just calm you down at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't change either of you for the world, bless you. I think it's a learning curve. So if you go back to the blind college, if we all had like proper solid counselling and support, with people we knew we could actually trust, then I think all of us would have been better human beings, more rounded human beings, because we were stuck in a bubble and we all had our own emotions, never mind hormones, to contend with. And I think that would have helped me. But 
moving on and growing up, I think I needed that growth to see how far I've come to then, I guess, even in some regards, help other people because it is okay to be angry and, and fight your corner, but not forever. You need to know that it's okay to let go of being angry sometimes. I think my thing was, is if I wasn't angry, then I was giving up. That's what it felt like. Whereas now I can be pretty diplomatic and say the same thing, but in a completely different way. And I'll still get the same results. And I just feel so much better for it. Getting yourself the help and what have you, isn't it? So because I, again, it's another, do you know how you have certain memories that stick in your, your mind and you can tell you exactly where you were when something happened? Mm -hmm. And I can exactly remember, I was in, uh, with Jordan and she was at her um, grading. And I missed the grading because you came on the phone and you went, I need to talk to you. So I left the building mm. to go outside and talk to you. And I was like, oh my God, what's up? Sort of thing. And you went, I've been diagnosed with depression and antidepressants. And my first instinct was, no before fucking time. And I didn't mean that in a, in a bad way. So I remember saying to you, there is people who have not been through a third and a quarter of what you've been through, through this over God knows how many years. And yet now you're just asking for help. So it wasn't it a no before time, you should have done that a long time ago. It was just fucking amazed that you got that far out actually cracking up. Mm -hmm. I think also that if you and dad had had the support of being able to speak to a counsellor once a week, things like that, I think all of us would have had a more solid bubble home life. Yeah, I think I, I think understanding right, yeah. as well. Yeah. Because you could be saying well, no, this, this just isn't happening or she's not doing her exercises. And it's like, well, you, you have to remember that, you know, that's causing her quite a lot of pain. Well, yeah, we know that. But at the same time, we know that if she doesn't, then it's going to cause her even more pain and restrict her life even more. So I guess maybe just somebody putting a different spin on it or just letting you vent a little bit in your own way, whether it's you, me, mum or whoever, does sort of help people out. So as you say, you know, it's good to talk and it's, okay not to be okay and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. and and maybe some of that would have helped or at the same time also think maybe because i think we're quite strong willed all of us that we were able to get through it whereas maybe the other people don't but, yeah, but then also it was one thing we've never taken away from it's extremely fucking clever because if you remember and we took her for a bit of counseling and she was what about 11 mm -hmm. and you knew exactly what to say to them mm -hmm. and they come back and went we think it's you've got the problem because there's nothing wrong with it. We like that. What? You were, you were, that was when you were starting to get angry and it was like just coming out in other ways. Yeah. And we knew you needed, then you needed somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. So we went through the things and they, they wanted this appointment and they wanted all four of us there. Now, John was just a toddler at the time. Yeah. They wanted all four of us there and that whole watch you through the one room mirror. And um, then cameras in the room. Yeah. And we were just to converse and then somebody came in and started asking us questions and i think then i think me and you went back ourselves yeah but you just went in yourself i wasn't even privy to that and the report came back that we see no problem with her we see like no ongoing issues or nothing that's going to become an issue and i just thought you haven't got a fucking clue where she's got you right over a barrel anyway because she's played you she said exactly what you wanted her to say so I think then as well, if somebody had addressed that then and given you the support then, mm -hmm. that would have been the start of it. Yeah. Because at some point, then the family would have got involved. Mm -hmm. 
going back to what you've just said about us, if we'd all had help. Yeah. But they were too quick to dismiss that the fact that, well, we were uh, we were probably looking for problems as the the adults. We were probably looking for problems, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with you. Well, actually, we live there, and we know that there's a massive change in our child. Mm. And I think, especially you and me, were so stubborn that I think we didn't even really want to admit that we'd done with the help. Mm. I think, whereas, like, with now, I was at uni, I called up in the June of 2013 and said, look, my sight's quite rapidly deteriorating. I did go to a blind college to do my A-levels, but it's been a long time. I'm not really sure how to use assistive technology. I don't really feel like I'm being supported by my uni. I kind of want someone to talk to who's also a counsellor but also lives in sight loss so understands kind of the gravity of what I'm facing and give me some tips and techniques. They said right there and then that the waiting list was going to be really long and I said no it's fine put me on it and it just so happened that my first ever counselling session was the day after I'd lost my sight completely after that operation. That's right. And, Remember that. And that was why in a, in a lot of ways it was so powerful because Yes, I could have done with, a, with that support leading up to me losing my sight. I think I probably wouldn't have been half as angry then. But I feel like I, I was so focused on learning new things and learning my roots and getting back to uni and everything like that. And then I had the support of speaking to someone that really knew what it was like, as well as being a professional, that I had more focus and clarity than I probably ever had before that. And I think... Mm. Unfortunately, today, even now, mental health, because it's an invisible illness, is seen as such a taboo topic. Oh, you're getting counselled and you must be a fruit bat. Mm. And it's just like, well, no. But I think even back then... I don't then, think it's as bad as what it was. It's, it's still no, it's still a taboo subject, but not to the extremes of what it was. Do but I, I mean? think even if you go back to me being like about 11, I don't think if... In all honesty, if you were offered counselling even without me, you'd probably been like, well, no, I'm fine. I don't need any support. Yeah, I can't answer that 100% honestly, but I could probably say yes, I agree with that. Yeah, and I think it's that weirdness of feeling like you're being defeatist by getting someone else's help, whether that's a professional in counselling or literally reaching out for help and I think that's why so many people especially like the world of disability if they're new to it and they don't have a clue is why they muddle through and kind of get lost along the way and become stressed and angry because they feel like well they've already dealt with this why do they then need you know a b and c person to come in and help take over their lives even further they need to take that perception differently I think because if you say Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm giving up, I'm being defeated by, by going and talking to somebody and telling the problems. Whereas actually, if, if you were to sort of analogise it to, you know, I can carry so much weight on, on my back, once I get so much, it's just going to weigh me down. Whereas actually, every now and then, if I just go and speak to someone, they take a little bit of the weight off my back, it gives me a bit more scopes and more on. And actually, you, you don't feel as tired all the time, you haven't got as much on your mind, you might sleep a bit better, what have you. So. It's all kind of like a bit of a vicious circle, but if you're taking that opportunity to have that, that help and see it as a, just somebody taking a little bit of the weight off for you, but you're dealing with the whole, the whole thing all the time, and then just every now and then you just pass a little bit off to someone, and then it gives you that, 
as you say, that energy or that relaxation of your mind to be able to go and focus on what you need to focus on, which is you, basically. Mm-hmm. Now it goes back to what I was saying about the social work. When they offered us a social worker, I instantly said no, because my understanding of social worker back then, they weren't, they weren't being highlighted in the press very well. I mean, all you were ever hearing about them was horror stories mm-hmm. about them breaking up families and coming in and taking over and um, because maybe we would do something one way and they would go, that's not right, so then you get a court against you. Mm-hmm. We're going to do what works for us and I suppose maybe it had to be like a social worker and I don't know, do you know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. can't, you, you can't say now how things would be. It's all ifs, buts and maybes, isn't it? What we were hearing back then in the press was so many negative things about them. There was a few big cases and all you seemed to ever hear about was the negative things about them. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I'm not having somebody come in and tell me how to bring you up. Mm-hmm. Because again, that's another thing. A social work would never allow um, for us to be what would be classed now as bullying you into doing exercises. Mm-hmm. That would be classed as bullying now. Yeah. And yeah, probably was a, a form of bullying. But that form of bullying, if you like, has made you what you are and got you where you are. Mm-hmm. Because you wouldn't be walking. You would be permanently in a wheelchair now, and we know that for a fact because we got told that. Yeah. And we got told that way. Uh, physiotherapists, we got told that by specialists, we got told that by doctors. Had we not been as on you, if you like, as we were, and had wrapped you in cotton wool, you would be permanently in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. But bring a social worker into that, and they would have not liked. And I know for a fact they would not have liked the way me and you used to scream and shout at each other, argue, do I mean tears, tantrums, and as we were laughing earlier on, that was just for me. I've still got the letter. I don't know if you remember anything, maybe about 15, 16, and you wrote me a letter to tell me how much for years you hated me. Do you remember that? No. I've got it. I could I should have written it out and read it to you. Because you wrote me this letter and it said, for years how much you hated me. The, our life was just like one big argument, screaming about doing exercises. If it wasn't this, it was that. It was a Mother's Day letter. And the, but the end thing is, was, but here I am now. And if you hadn't have done that and you hadn't have been that person, I wouldn't be where I am now. Mm-hmm. So for that, I thank you. I still got that letter. Mm-hmm. Actually, it does ring a bell now. Yeah, because it's Mother's Day. Yeah. Got to give him a good slating for Mother's Day, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, bitch. I hate you for years. Maybe that's like you. Oh, by the way, thanks very much. And I hate you. you. Oh, thanks. It's Mother's Day. Let's start this letter. Right? And Craig's yeah, like, yeah. "Where was my letter?" Oh, it's because I was the loved parent. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, good. Yeah. The last and final question would be: Do you have any resources or advice you'd like to share for other parents? their child has just been diagnosed with any disability and what they could do just your general advice we'll find out what helps out there for you google everything google absolutely everything we didn't have the luxury uh, google like with you there's loads of information be it services that are available to you there's always somebody even if it's like a forum yeah. that they can get a bit of support for somebody else who's going through the exact same thing. But 
first and foremost, you take all the help you can get and support and let people help you. Yeah, I think it's good, good to talk and yeah. sort of share your, share your problems, whether that was, um, we used to go to a little camp down at Gunners Lake, mm -hmm. um, and that was obviously you getting away, getting a bit of a break and doing outdoor activities, or <clears throat> your mum and I getting a break, to be fair, and that, I don't mean that to sound uh, off, but... But I think but even that, sorry, like you that. were even, I think there, you were the least disabled person there, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah. So, so yeah, but just mixing with other people. So getting out there, I think talking about it, um, whether it's the support groups, the forums, what, as you're talking about there, podcasts, etc., all that sort of stuff, I think. Talking to people about it and getting spammed up on it, obviously taking the advice of doctors and everyone, but just maybe not taking everything as read, just challenge things a little bit. It's not always 100% accurate. If I didn't mention having a sense of humour, then, <laughs> yeah. you know, definitely having a sense of humour, but you've got to, you've got to see light in things, no matter how sort of dark it can be. It's, uh, you, you've got to see the, the bright side of things, I think. I give you everything it does, but first and foremost, go look for the financial help, because you've got no idea how much more money you're going to start spending by going back and forth to hospitals, appointments, things like that. And you may not, but for whatever circumstances, if you don't drive, you might be able to get in public transport. Mm -hmm. And there's all these things out there to help you. Yeah. Go looking for it, ask. Mm -hmm. On average, a disabled person's household outgoings is 500 pounds more than an able-bodied household. See, I never knew that, so there you go. I didn't actually realise until the other night we were talking about somebody who's on disability getting a car and saying that they, they get a manual and I thought well that's a bit bizarre because a lot of people as they get older, bigger cars, whatever, prefer an automatic and yet you get somebody who's on disability, your automatic you think would be having an automatic depending on obviously what the uh, disability is. But then I found out that apparently if they get an automatic, it's two and a half thousand pounds more on the down payment than it would be if you were getting a manual. Mm -hmm. Which I just thought was absolutely ludicrous. I and mean, that's like you're penalising the very people you're trying to help. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah, I can, I can understand. Yeah, go, yeah go and get as much support for like, friends and family and talk. It took me a long time, but I realised that a lot of my frustrations and anger were all to do with fighting, I suppose, your corner. And, and it doesn't stop just because you're 16 or 18. I had yeah. to put a note in your file that they could tell me anything because you had given permission. Yes. But then when you went to 18, that automatically revoked. So for me, a lot of that was frustration as well because you weren't. You didn't have enough life experience to deal with things, hospitals and things like that. But all you were the one that was attending that, they get me wrong. But I knew the right questions to ask. Mm -hmm. And so it was quite frustrating when you get to that certain age and you're having to be the one that's on the phone and I'm standing behind you having to tell you what to say. Because yeah. I can't tell them and they'll, they'll talk to me. Yeah, I remember that vividly. So having a three-way conversation because you quite openly admit you don't have a clue what you're meant to say to these people. Mm -hmm. But they'll not talk to me. So I'm going to stand behind you and tell you what to say. 
So it's these sort of things, you know what I mean? Take all the support you can get. That's what I, I say. And laugh about it. Laugh as much as you can. Life's your living, isn't it? You know what I mean? Whether you've got a disability or not, you've got to get on with your life and make the most out of it. And, and sometimes unpopular choices as well, you know. Do you want to go away to, to a specialist school? No. Well, actually, when you did, it was probably one of the best things you did. So sometimes it's making unpopular decisions either for yourself or your family or your family making them for you. So sometimes a little bit more courage just to make the right decision and not what you want, what you need. Well, thank you so much for being on and sharing the joy that is raising me. <laughs> Who ya, as they say in America. <laughs> <laughs> right, can we go and get that champagne open now? She's not here. <laughs> oh, he's still on camera, sorry. <laughs> oh, Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Purple Elephant. What it's like to raise a disabled child. With me, your host Sassy Wyatt, and my parents, Craig and Ange. I hope they made you laugh as much as they made me laugh and that you can see an insight into our family dynamics and how we've dealt with things through the years, as you can tell, mostly with humour. If you did enjoy this episode, please consider rating and subscribing on Apple Podcasts and I will see you in the next one. Let's hope this episode helped you to become a better human being.